At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Bringing women together uh, to talk about the, the lifestyle and the heritage and the conservation issues that we care about is really empowering. And I think when you have an opportunity to, uh, to speak your mind in a space that feels uh, free and open, uh, you just gain confidence in your ability to take that voice into other venues. All right, welcome to the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, and we are recording not live, but from the National Wildlife Federation annual meeting here in St. Louis, Missouri. This is a pretty cool spot because we get all of our affiliates here in one place. Our affiliates, of course, set our national policy. These are independent state affiliates. And some of the other podcasts that you've been uh, listening to recently uh, featured some of our, our affiliate leaders. But I get two of my coworkers um, on today, and that's the other cool thing for for us staffers of National Wildlife Federation is, you know, we have 300 plus employees all over the country, and not everybody comes here, but we get to get to meet friends that, that we met at previous annual meetings from all over the country, and two of them are my coworkers, Marsha Brownlee, who runs the Artemis uh, Sportswoman Program from National Wildlife Federation. And then my like kind of semi-boss sort of for part of my work, uh, Aaron Kindle. Aaron is our senior manager for Western Sporting Campaigns based out in Denver. And, and Marsha, you're in Montana still, right? Yep. Great. Now, if you go back and listen to our early episodes, I think it was episode number two um, from last year, we interviewed uh, Marsha about the launch of the Artemis program. And we'll touch on that a little bit later in this episode. But one thing that, that we really wanted to hit with this episode is is something that if you listen to the podcast you've probably been reminded of it through our through our affiliates um, and the stories that they've told about their work but we just want to take a bird's eye view if you will of the national wildlife federation and its hunting and fishing heritage in both its founding and some of the some of the things that it's done over its history and what we're working on now and the way that we're we're trying to re-emphasize that um, with, with, a, with a new website that, that you can check out as well. Um, so, so with that, we're going to introduce that as, as a new brand, and it's the same thing that we call the podcast. It's the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors. The NWF Outdoors is, is really our hunting and fishing outreach. And while it may seem strange that we have to have a specific hunting and fishing outreach, if you're familiar with other hunting and angling conservation organizations, it's because of the dual nature of our federation. About half of those affiliates represent the, the hunters and anglers in their state. About half of the affiliates represent kind of more environmental 
organizations that represent their state and then where those two sides can find common ground for wildlife that's where our policies are set but sometimes in our in our general messaging to the general public we we haven't always done a great job probably of of reminding people that half of us are hunters and anglers too and that's what we're trying to do with nwf outdoors um and and we're going to start with with aaron aaron the new website where people can go to um nwf outdoors what does that mean to you because you've been working um in this space for a little bit longer than than i have here at the federation well it means a lot to me i think uh we we know it inherently because we work here that we have some of the best champions for fish and wildlife from the sporting community from across the country and for me to try to help represent that work what what we do nationally and what our affiliates do that that makes me proud i'm, I'm happy to do that and um, I'm honored that we can carry that message because like you'll see on our site, um, we have a long history of being really great champions for wildlife and for the sporting community. And so to me, it represents kind of a re-energizing of the cool stuff we've done in the past and a new benchmark that we're going to work from in the future um, to continue to build our sporting work and our sporting brand and to best represent our federation. And that's and, what it's really about. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We're not trying to overemphasize our, our sporting heritage. We're just trying to accurately represent it. Um, and, and what I don't think a lot of people understand is that it was the National Wildlife Federation that passed the Pippin-Robertson Act back in 1937. Um, I think if you ask probably any hunter and angler that is even familiar with the Pippin-Robertson Act, and this is the, the act that provides the 11% um, excise tax on, on hunting equipment and, and firearms and ammunition and directs that to state wildlife agencies, which has done a magnificent job of recovering game species, at least over the last um, 80 plus years. But that idea for that came out of our founding meeting in 1936. It was pushed by Ding Darling. It was the first uh, conservation policy that our affiliates got together and, and passed and said, this is something we got to do. And in a year after we were founded, that law was in place. Um, and, and I think that, that that's just where we started. And now I'm going to jump forward 80 plus years um, and, and talk about introduce, for those that didn't listen to the earlier podcast, I think probably one of the most exciting things that, that our federation is doing right now in, in the sporting world and the sporting sphere, and, and that's the Artemis Sportswoman program. And, and Marsha, who joined us uh, last year is here. She runs a program and just seeing how it's grown and and how it's evolved just in the last year since you came on board has been really cool to watch. Um, you know, you know, for me at least, but rather than me uh, try to mansplain it, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so Artemis uh, Sportswoman is the National Wildlife Federation's outreach to women hunters and anglers to engage them in conservation advocacy. And I've been on here almost exactly a year. Um, well, yeah, it's my one year anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, and it has been a really big year. Artemis itself is two years old. Uh, and so we've worked uh, pretty hard to, to grow uh, a strong foundation on the work that we do. 
um, and, and put boots on the ground in the West. And so since I've come on, we've uh, transitioned our co-founders, which is a group of women from across the West who, who came together to set the values and the mission of Artemis, and transitioned them into an advisory council. And then we launched our ambassador program. So we have Artemis ambassadors in the states that we're active in, which includes Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. Uh, and we just had our first um, Artemis Leadership Annual Retreat uh, last weekend, where we brought all of the ambassadors and advisors together for a weekend in Anaconda, Montana, where we did some strategic planning, uh, and then of course did a fence removal work party, because it's always fun to get dirty um, and do some good work, uh, and, and set some good goals for the organization, uh, and I'm enjoying following it up here at the annual meeting where we can touch base with the affiliates directly and continue to flesh out the, the strategic plan and our goals for the coming year. And what are some of those goals that, that you're looking to accomplish with Artemis? Yeah, so we are we are really hoping to get a podcast launched. Uh, you know, one of Artemis's goals is to amplify sportswomen's voice in the sporting community. Um, and podcasts are a huge part of how the hunting and angling communities communicate with each other and how we pass knowledge on and how we build community. Um, and, and we think that there needs to be a strong uh, women's voice in that realm. And so we're looking to um, pull together a plan to launch a podcast called Artemis Endeavors. Um, stay tuned. We're really focused on doing that. Um, and then we're hoping to pull together a strategy to implement a chapter model. Uh, there's a lot of energy for Artemis, and we want to make sure that we have an outlet to engage everyone who wants to be engaged. Um, but like I said, we're young, and so we, we want to do it well. Uh, and we want to be able to support people um, with a high level of support. Our focus is is relationships, and so we don't just want to slap a name on it and let them go. We want, really want to be able to support them in the work that they're doing in the community that they're building. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna put some intention behind that effort uh, and and grow smartly. But we're hoping to to do chapters. And um and backing up a little bit, and if you go back. And listen to that episode. Like I said, I think it's number two. Um, Marsha uh, gets deeper into to her background with hunting and fishing, and and what brought her to it, and and um, really tells tells an amazing story of a of a bear hunt that that she had. Um, so go back and listen to that. So I don't want to um, repeat the same thing just right now. But one of the things that that you touch on is what Artemis does in the community, and when when people join Artemis, what that means and what impact they're having across the West. What what are the goals of of Artemis, not just for the growth of the program, mm -hmm. but but what are the items that, that it is accomplishing in the West? It is really, uh, in my experience, bringing women together uh, to talk about the, the lifestyle and the heritage and the conservation issues that we care about is really empowering. And I think when you have an opportunity to, uh, to speak your mind in a space that feels uh, free and open, uh, you just gain confidence in your ability to take that voice into other venues. So it, it, when you have those conversations around a campfire or uh, you know around round a pint. <laughs> um, uh, it just gives you that much confidence in what you're saying and in your knowledge to then take it to a community meeting um, or or to uh, or to your legislature. 
Um, so really, really supporting women to build that confidence has been great. And then creating those relationships, we've been super successful in connecting sportswomen to each other. Um, and then they carry that, that relationship out into the field and onto the water. Uh, and again, just get more confident in talking about their, their abilities. Um, women have a, have a tendency to underplay their knowledge and to underplay their skill. And I think when you communicate with another group of women and, and, and you just gain confidence uh, in those and can communicate with them differently. And then um, in following hunting, hunting media, I feel like I've been seeing your ambassadors all over it. the place. Yep. I mean, they are everywhere in hunting. Um, can, you, can you talk about some of the successes and, and some of your ambassadors and, and some of the ways that they've been able to promote your message? Yeah, so um, Becca Aceto, who is our Idaho ambassador, ambassador pulled together a, a ladies turkey hunt in Idaho that brought together 15 women to hunt turkeys. Uh, and that was that was a lot of fun. We had um, all of the women there had hunted before. They're pretty experienced big game hunters, but about three quarters of them have never hunted turkey before. Uh, so that was super fun to learn together um, and to learn from the women who who had a lot of experience in that realm. Um, and that it's it's fun to see because that email chain is still active. You know, we create that email chain so we can communicate, uh, you know, decisions and, and facts about the weekend itself. But it's still active and it's still going. So it's great to see that those connections um, continue to last. And then we have uh, Chelsea out of Oregon, who has been huge in, in fostering the communication and the conversation around the use of non-lead ammunition and non-lead um, shells. And uh, she did a great article with the New York Times about that. And she's, she's killing it in Oregon with some events on the ground. Um, and then we have Kara Armano out of um, Durango, Colorado, who uh, is an amazing angler, and she is she's always active in the community, um, both conservation community and the angling community. And she's pulling together a women's fishing weekend for the end of July, focusing on the connectivity work that we're doing in the Rio Grande. That's, and the, and go check out Artemis, and definitely check out their website because. That's just the tip of the iceberg yeah. of, of what you guys have been doing yep. over over the last year. Um, how, how has it been um, being on a year and and with this program and and seeing it, it one year into it? Is it is it what you expected? And yes and no, right? I mean, the answer is always yes and no. Uh, yes, it is what I expected in that. Um, uh, I get to work with really amazing women who are committed to uh, conservation and committed to um, hunting and angling and, and just being outside and 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 working together. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's a complicated issue when, especially I think when we're trying to work in uh, seven states. You know, each state has its own uh, conservation issues and and its own culture and its own challenges uh, and so getting to know those well enough that we can be effective and do good work um, has been challenging but uh, but it's great and that's one of the reasons having those ambassadors on the ground is a really wonderful thing because they're in it and they're active in their state and can really help um, do good work there um, if, if somebody's listening right now and, and wants to get involved and find out more about Artemis, um, what are the best resources for them? So the best resources are our website, which is artemis.nwf.org. Uh, definitely go there, um, and that will give you all the contact information and 
um, some good blogs that our ambassadors have helped write. write. And then um, social media, we're super active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so just Google Artemis Sportswomen and, uh, and follow us there. We communicate a lot through social media. And um, if I'm not mistaken, because we interviewed uh, Martin Patelis with uh, Hunt to Eat earlier, um, and, and on the same episode, we also had Nicole Quartieri um, with with Gear Junkie, and they mentioned too that that there's a collaboration um, with Hunt to Eat yeah. that helps support Artemis as, as well. Yeah, um, yeah, we have a really great cutthroat T-shirt um, that we worked with Hunt to Eat to pull together. We've got a, a T-shirt, a um, couple of different styles and then we also have a hoodie that's super comfortable and awesome so yeah if you go on uh hunt to eat under collaborations artemis is right at the top because it starts with an a uh, so you can find us there can i mention something within this drew i suppose um, i think what's interesting about artemis and what a lot of this gets to is the culture yeah um the sporting community hunting and angling is so much about culture right it's um we've always kind of had one another's back we've always kind of built off the strengths of all the people who are doing it before and we're in a unique time because we're building a new culture mm -hmm. yeah a culture that's both you know celebratory of what's come before but is also redefining a new path and is perhaps more intelligent and more sensitive to the way of the world now and i think it's cool to watch it evolve mm -hmm. and to both have all those lessons and to be able to stand on the backs of the giants, but at the same time watch people like Marsha, watch people like uh, you know Monting doing these collaborations, all these different really cool people we're working with that have just such cutting edge, fascinating ideas. And I think Artemis is just a cool flashpoint that's representing that really well right now, and it's one of the cool things we have going, and it's what gets me so excited about our sporting work. Mm -hmm. You know what, yeah, it is that that connection between um, environmental stewardship and not being afraid to say the word environmental um, <laughs> and hunting to eat, um, thinking about the reasons why we hunt and being deliberate um, about them and then making sure that our community is inclusive and welcoming and not just welcoming to new folks but making sure that we're acknowledging folks that have been part of the hunting community all along that we hadn't always done a good job of representing and acknowledging mm -hmm. too. And, and what we talked about with, with Nicole too um, was a blog that she recently posted on, on um, Gear Junkie. And it's, at least for me, um, I'm not afraid to admit, I'm not always sure what topics are appropriate to broach. And, and that was one of those really tough ones because it was a blog about the five things not to talk about and so to talk about the blog right. <laughs> I am now yeah. talking about the five things yeah. that she wrote not to talk about um, but the reason I bring it up with you is, is she shared that um, she shared it with some really um, trusted hunters um, before she posted it and she wasn't sure to post it and she received great feedback and encouragement to do that. Mm -hmm. And that one of the folks that she shared that with um, to, to help edit and, and get input on was was you, which is great that she's, um, I'm proud that, that my colleagues are the ones that, that the best writers in, in hunting are turning to mm -hmm. um, for input. But, but what did you think about that blog post? Is that something that, 
is it something that's more productive to dive into those or is, is it something that maybe that blog post um, was necessary and should be the end of it and now let's move on from those issues you know I think I, I think that I think those were important conversations to have okay um, I think we've had them and I think we need to move on okay um, I, th- I, I thought Nicole did a really great job of um, acknowledging the issues and the conversations we've had around them uh, but there are we need to take it to the next step we need to have deeper conversations that will help us be more effective in recruitment and retainment uh, because those conversations have stopped being effective and stopped being helpful and because of that then I'm not actually going to go in and, and say what the five yeah. issues are because we're not <laughs> going to bring them up again so I, I will say go back and read the blog if you want to know um, but since uh, the whole point of the blog is to move on from those five issues I'm not going to say what they yeah. are um, but what are what are the new conversations that we need to have I think the new conversations we need to have are um, what's the next step past recruitment? Because sporting organizations, hunting and fishing organizations have done a really great job of opening their doors uh, to uh, to welcome in um, a, a diverse group of people, including and almost especially women. But what's next? Uh, because I think there's some frustration and now that we're here, uh, we want to be able to participate in the conversation in a way that really affects change. And that's still um, proving difficult. And that's just growing pains. Um, you know, I think that's, that's understandable um, and, and that needs to happen. But we need to talk about how to change um, that diversity into inclusion a little bit more effectively. Um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice is something that um, I, I think the National Wildlife Federation takes seriously. We, Certainly, being on staff, um, it's it's a it's an initiative and a push um, with within the federation. Um, how do you how do you see that uh, applying to to your work? And you know, for 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 lack of a better word, for for traditional boroughs like us, how how do we be good allies? Yeah, you know, I think I think I think the I think. I'm gonna say that one more time. I think um, the world is full of of men who have been really great allies, and so I think what we ask, what I would ask of them now, um, is to be open to change and to like to really listen to what we're trying to say uh, and reflect on um, what's what's happening. Because you know, for a lot of us, we're in this new space too. You know, we're, we're still trying to figure out what this means to us and how we can be most effective here. And so I think sometimes the conversation comes across as um, judgmental and people get defensive. And that's not the intention. We just want to be able to talk about what we're experiencing. Uh, and we want that to be met with people honestly examining what they're experiencing as well. Um, so I would ask, try not to get defensive. <laughs> <laughs> and don't take wait. ourselves too seriously. And don't, yeah. take our, don't take us too seriously either. Like, wait a minute, honestly, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Um, uh, yeah so because these you know these conversations if we do move past into deeper territory um, they're difficult and they're complicated and there's not a right answer there's just an individual experience and so I think we need to approach it from that perspective and um, not not to plug the previous podcast anymore but go back and listen because Marsha shares her personal experience as a hunter um, in, in one of the more impactful stories that I've listened to from any other hunter. Um, so go back, go back and listen to that because um, that 
that's a story that I think any any hunter can relate to and and experience in that same way the way the way that she told it. So I, I appreciate you doing you doing that. It was uh, Call it was me an interesting time. Well, it was an it was an interesting time. It was the first time I, that I met you. Mm-hmm. Like that, like me meeting you was hearing that story. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And um, you know, I think when hunters get together and share hunting stories, um, that that's the way that we that we spread this work that we're doing. That's the way that we share our conservation ethic is just hunters getting together and telling hunting stories. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're trying to do with the podcast. And I'm really excited to hear the new Artemis podcast. um, Because I imagine that will be just some cool hunters getting together telling hunting stories. For sure, yeah. And we'll, of course, share that on the NWF.Outdoors website. Um, Aaron, I want to transition a little bit to some of the other work that that we've been doing and, and reemphasizing um, in the in the hunting space, and it's it's weird to talk about like pigeonholing just hunting or not hunting because the organization National Wildlife Federation is about wildlife. Whether you hunt it, whether you don't, it's just about conserving wildlife. That that's what we exist to do. It's why we were founded. So I ding Darling, the duck hunter who created the duck stamp. You know, urged our creation um, through that conference back in 1936. But what what are the things that you think are are most important to highlight about the work that we're doing right now that is for wildlife, but is relevant to hunters, anglers, and trappers? Yeah. Well, I think, especially being part of a, a big umbrella organization like National Wildlife Federation, it's my job to operate on that nexus between the sporting community. And the you know more typical environmental community, let's say, and that's what makes it fascinating. For one, there's you know we do our work, and here we are, anglers, and our clean water folks come to us and say, the Clean Water Act is getting dismantled. Can you help? And they know we have this credibility. And then I get the awesome job of going to anglers, going to people like Marsha, other other sportswomen, other sportsmen that we know, and being like, hey, just convey some of your internal knowledge it doesn't even have to be uh you know real technical or anything we all know if you're a duck hunter you know how important prairie potholes are or wetlands you know that those are the places that the goslings and the ducklings grow up and you know that the place the wild birds are migrating they have to stop there Mm -hmm. you know that the wetlands that are uh beaver dams and things like that near your trout stream are where the baby fish are hatched and they need to grow up and you start connecting those stories to, if we don't appropriately protect all those kinds of waterways, what does our sporting future look like? And that's just kind of a quick example of the fascinating nexus between all of the different kinds of work we do. But I think for our sporting heritage overall, there's a handful of really critical issues. And I think it, we know them, but they're, they're in unique space right now. Yeah. Um, you think of things like access and LWCF and have having had, uh, which is the Land and Water Conservation Fund, having had a 55-year-old program that infuses hundreds of millions of dollars every year to parks, trails, open space, access. I mean, we kind of take it for granted. We can't even fathom that there's not something out there kind of silently operating all the time, hooking us all up, giving us more opportunity. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are still debating it 55 years later, one of the most incredible success story conservation programs in the world. Um, 
that's that's ringing the bell really hard right now, and I don't think enough people are paying attention to it. Um, we've got things like the sage grouse, uh, whose habitat is right in the center of mule deer and elk migration corridors, and right now we're seeing heavy energy leasing right in the priority habitat, which, you know, the, the saying, what's good for the bird is good for the herd, is very true. <laughs> when you develop that habitat, there's a lot of impact to the sporting community and it's death by a thousand cuts you know i think we've all experienced we go to put in for a tag next year i'm like well shit this tag that i was hoping for is not gonna work anymore you know and uh that we nobody nobody wants to hear that and they don't really understand why mm-hmm. you have to trace some of that stuff back and oftentimes you'll find out that you know, if you look over the past 10 years, that habitat's changed. Why did it change? Fragmentation, other different things. In the West, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, and we're starting to take a closer look at migration corridors. We're, our statewide action plans, uh, the Secretary Order 3362, is really putting a microscope on a bunch of that stuff. And it's good. It, it's good, in, in, but it's also bad because we're finding out just as, as much as as we're winning and understanding and identifying that stuff, we're finding out that, wow, these are being impacted a lot. And we've got more people moving west, we've got climate issues, a lot of different things that are also layered on top of that that are gonna make us uh, have, to, have to change our actions a little bit and be more active. And it, it, for me, it'd be another plug for Artemis because one of the cool things that we've done with Artemis, from the beginning, we always realized what conservation needs is not just another group to belong to. We need a kind of cradle-to-the-grave system. We need to be able to take people from the brand new, the onset of their kind of hunting conservation immersion and go, okay, here's all the things you need to know. Start out. What are public lands? What are, what's NEPA? What's the, you know, what's the Clean Water Act? What's FLIPMA? All these different things that defined mm-hmm. how we got to where we are in modern conservation. And then what does it look like in your state? Well, how does your game commission operate? Mm-hmm. How does your uh, Fish and Wildlife Agency operate? All of these different things. And then once people get a good understanding of that, then an issue comes up, and they really know how to kind of infiltrate that issue and be effective advocates and then grow that and, and, and kind of marry that with their field experience. Mm-hmm. And then that's powerful and authentic, and, and it's really nobody can, nobody can discredit it. It's, I've been there, I've seen it, I know the rules, I know the laws, I'm authentic, what, you know, and that's powerful, and that's, what, that's something that's really been uh, borne out in Artemis, and it's what we're trying to do with our greater NWF sporting work as well, right? It's yep. really try to show the scope of work we're doing across the country, and, the, and, and to build it, and, and feed it, and care for it, and grow the army mm-hmm. you know the and conservation army the yep. conservation army and that's that's the kind of powerful stuff that you know we've all kind of been doing subtly that we need to kind of do less subtly now and you know I was I was talking on a previous episode with uh, Bill Cooksey of our vanishing paradise program and Ryan Schaefer of the Louisiana Wildlife Federation and they talked about what effective advocates um, hunters and anglers are um, because there is that kind of deeper knowledge, it seems like, of the conservation issues. And and I don't, you know, when I say that, and I think sometimes it comes out in 
um, the internal struggles sometimes of our communications work um, where we assume a certain level of knowledge because we're talking to hunters and anglers all the time. When we write something, we're assuming a certain level of knowledge because hunters and anglers do seem to have a little bit of a, a deeper understanding of some of the conservation issues, the different agencies, the different laws, because we have to keep up with it to make sure we're not violating. You know, there's changes at each state's conservation commission, you know, changes every year, you gotta pay attention to those. Where you can hunt, that gets changed, you know, cause you're out there on the landscape. I think sometimes with our, um, and why we really thought it was important to create NWF Outdoors as a separate um, website with, within nwf.org is that, you know, our, na- our, our national organization, NWF, they have a mission to connect everybody to wildlife. And when you're talking to everybody, you kind of have to make sure that you're putting it at the basic level that somebody new to conservation issues can understand pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we're used to dealing with hunters and anglers, we get frustrated that we have to put things so basic, we just want to jump to the actual issue itself. But, But that's because hunters and anglers seem to have that a little bit deeper understanding but what we're trying to do, and I think what we're trying to do in this new sphere of conservation, is take that deeper level of understanding of just like what the regulations are and translate that into a deeper commitment to the wildlife itself and, and the spaces that they inhabit that we all share. Um, do, you, do you guys kind of see that same type of thing? There's this new, yeah, you mentioned there's this new space, there's this new kind of conservationist ethos within the hunting and fishing community where where do you see that going like is is that is that where we're going is that a subset that's a flash in the pan or do you see that as the new future of hunting i'll take part of that i think it i think it has to be the new future of hunting i don't think that's a choice um we've started that conversation uh and we need to push it forward um because our our lifestyle and and for me a lot of my connection to the natural world um, relies on the health of that wildlife and and the pressures that they face aren't going away and so it has to be the future habitat equals opportunity i tell these people I, i tell that to people all the time if you have healthy habitat that's when you have opportunity lots of people's introduction to conversation conservation is when their opportunity is lost and that's often because something's happened with the habitat and so that brings you right back to conservation you have to be doing something you we, we no longer can afford to just pop up every fall and go hunt and then you know come February or whenever most people put away their 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 rifles or their bows or whatever and just wait again till next August or September mm-hmm. You can't do that anymore. We've got work to do year-round. There's always important wildlife decisions being made. With things like technology is another huge interface that we're really having to get behind with the, you know, incredible cameras and drones and <laughs> people doing stuff with fat bikes and you know new new four wheelers and getting further and back a lot easier and having more advantage over the animal. We're really going to have to test our our fair chase uh, ethos and, and really think about what that really means and have restraint and humility to mm-hmm. carry on our traditions. And, and that's kind of the new thing that I see more than anything because I think we're, we're doing a really good job of understanding things as far as the needs of the wildlife that we rely on. You know, we kind of get 
there's certain things you can't do to a stream. And we, we as hunters and anglers have to prevent that from happening. And if we don't, then we have to go restore it. But we don't really know what the new gadget's going to be in five years. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, or, you know, I think I have an 11 and a 14-year-old. And, you know, I try to think when they're 30, what are the issues they're going to be facing? And the way technology is going, I have no clue. Mm-hmm. But we know we got to be ready. And we know we got to be educated more than ever to... to appropriately respond and one of the things I think is really exciting is that the majority of the R3 initiatives the recruitment recruit retain reactivate initiatives in the sporting community are done by nonprofits and agencies Um, and so they're really Drew just showed me a picture of his uh, of his kid (laughs) that wasn't his intention but that was a side effect it's adorable uh, most of that R3, those R3 initiatives are done by conservation nonprofits and agencies. And so that's, that's what we care about. And so the people who are entering the field and hitting the water now um, enter with a level of understanding about the complexity and the importance of those issues that, that we haven't had in the past. Hunters and anglers, we do seem to have a deeper level of understanding, um, especially about game species, game regulations, that kind of thing. Um, we heard at the conference today about the the UN report that shows a million species worldwide at, at danger of extinction. Um, we have the Pittman-Robertson Act, um, you know, that has helped recover game species that we passed back in 1937. But now, you know, and even America, we put out a report last year that shows that up to one third of species in America, um, overall with wildlife, are in trouble. What what duty do we as hunters and anglers who spend so much of our focus on the game animals that we specifically pursue. What is our responsibility to the non-game animals that share that habitat? Just as much. We have, uh, you know, a lot of people focus on what we have, uh, what our differences are with, say, an environmental group or even a single species organization that is in the sporting community. And, you know, they're too deer-centric or they're too grouse-centric or something like that. We need to get on the bus with paying attention to the 95% of the things that unite us and paying attention to, again, habitat. Because mm-hmm. habitat that sustains deer and elk and grouse is the same habitat often that sustains a lot of other animals. And we need to be right there at the table arguing just as hard and loud that we need to save XYZ frog or hummingbird or insect because all of those are part of the ecosystem that make up our conservation lives and I tell you what if I were just out on a landscape hunting elk and all I ever saw was an elk and never saw a grouse or a nutcracker or a hummingbird mm-hmm. I don't want to live in that place I want all of those things and I feel like it's just as much of our duty and maybe even more because we have the awesome you know advantage of being able to take home meat and and actually sustain ourselves based on that resource and that resource requires a lot of other things besides just what an elk or a deer or a, you know, a game animal needs. And so we have an immense obligation. We, can't, we, we no longer can sit and, and take that privilege and not give back just, just as quick, if not quicker, than we, than we take. Mm-hmm. I think habitats are incredibly complex systems and we need to protect the whole unit to ensure that its health. That's what I love about being here at the NWF annual meeting is because, 
Yeah, we have the, the, the sporting affiliates that, that we work with most closely. Um, but we also have different Audubon groups, bird groups. Um, Marsha um, Marcia has to leave. She's got to get to the Women in Conservation Leadership Forum, um, which, which is another initiative by one of uh, our awesome colleagues, uh, Elizabeth Lillard, who's really uh, leading, leading that charge. Um, so she's, she's got to leave. Um, Marsha, thanks for joining the podcast again. Okay. Go check out Artemis. Um, what's the website again? Artemis.nwf.org. All right. And you can also find that as a drop down under our work with a picture of Marsha with a beautiful brown trout. Um, they won't let me use a picture of the bear. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's also on the nwf.org slash outdoors as well. So go check that out. Marsha, cool. thank you. I won't hold you up any longer. You bet. Thanks, Drew. Aaron, when we when we talk about that that non non game species work, one of one of the issues that I want to end on is is one that we've been working on really closely, and that's that's a pr- voluntary adoption um, promoting non lead. That's another hunt to eat collaboration that we just recently announced here with a really cool new T-shirt that you can get. Um, but what does that mean to you about our responsibility to non-game wildlife that we share habitat with through our actions as hunters and how it relates to using non-lead ammunition? Well, I think it's, it's part of hunting ethics, right? When you, when you go out in the field and you decide to take a shot, as we all know from gun safety, you're responsible for everything that happens with your gun. You're responsible when you pull the trigger and that projectile leaves into your barrel you're responsible for whatever happens. <laughs> and we're carrying that on past the kill. You know, you, you make that shot, you've got your elk down, you bone it out, you pack it out. But whatever's left there, if there's any sort of issue, any sort of issue, I, uh, we know it's lead in some cases, but if there was another issue, if you knew that, you know, that, that carcass would lay there and rot and become poisonous in some other way, it'd be your responsibility to take care of it. But we do know that lead bullets fragment, and we do know that they fragment into those gut piles, into the, into the organs and other things in the animal. And when you leave that gut pile behind, there is some lead in there. And we do have evidence that some animals have been harmed or killed by that. We know that. And it's not that hard of a change for the sporting community to just seek lead alternatives. Um, and to be educated about that issue. It's a voluntary thing we're looking at, trying to have people just look at this issue and, and, and maybe perhaps change your mind once you see the evidence. Uh, we're, not, we're not forcing anyone to do it, but it's back to that responsibility. When you go in the field, whatever you do out there often has an impact beyond just the time that you're out there and you're, you're, you're responsible for that impact. Um, and so really, in my conscience as a hunter, when I go hunt, if I know that even one critter out there ingests my gut pile or some portion of any animal that I've harvested and becomes ill or dies from it, that's not acceptable to me. Right. And I think a lot of hunters, the majority that we talk to actually, are like, wow, if I knew this, I would change my practices. And so what we're doing with this program is A, you know, we'll, we'll get some steel shot and we'll let people shoot that and have fun shooting clays and different things like that. And or if we're lucky enough to get out on birds sometime. Uh, 
that's good too. But just having that conversation and bringing the science along and helping them understand the effects and the issues. We've been working with the Non-Lead Hunting Partnership a little bit. We just did a demonstration in Montana a couple of weeks back. Um, you know, they shoot water jugs and ballistics gels and different things. We had uh, two sharpshooters from uh, the Army that were there, two guys who hunted with lead all the time, guys who practice and know ballistics better than 99.9% .9 of people on Earth. And when we walked out of there, they said, we're switching to copper. Oh, that's awesome. And that's because when you see the definitive uh, results of those shooting demonstrations and you see when you shoot a, a lead bullet into water jugs that there's lead fragments everywhere and you see that in the ballistics gels and you see that via x-ray when uh, they've x-rayed gut piles and things like that it's just your your own inherent uh you know feeling is yeah i probably don't want to be spreading that lead around <laughs> yeah, you know and, and, and where i live you have uh, bald eagles and one of the arguments I keep hearing is that, like, well, bald eagles are doing well as a population, so I don't have to switch. And I'm like, well, actually, that's probably why you ought to, because now there's more bald eagles out there. You're probably more likely for a bald eagle to come in contact with the gut pile that you leave behind as there's more of them. And, you know, you, you made the point before that, you know, if, if you had two deer and there was one that you wanted to shoot, but there was another one behind it. First thing, you know, one of the first things you're taught in hunter safety is you wait until that obstruction behind it is clear in case you miss, right? You don't want that bullet traveling, missing, taking out any non-target wildlife, not even one. And when we think about like an eagle that might scavenge a duck, you know, a gut pile, that's just the same. That's the same thing. That eagle is standing behind that deer or that elk just as much as another deer or elk would be, you know, even if it's just that one. And, and it may not be standing behind it in space, but it is standing behind it in time um, in the same direct path of, of your bullet. So it's just a matter of us taking the things that we were taught in hunter safety when we first took it, and we're just applying that in, in a new way based on science and based on um, biology and, and based on our own new ethics and understanding of how wildlife works. Yeah, you're responsible yep. for that shot, and that they teach you that in hunter safety right away. Yep. Same same reason you don't take a shot at an elk on a ridge. Yep. Because you don't know what's on the other side. Yep. And uh, on the other side of that ridge is an eagle that will eat its gut pile. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, or there yep. there could be any number of things, yep. and and so it's just again being responsible for your shot and 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 being good conservationist, like we talked about this changing yep. landscape in hunting, sporting, conservation, the public sees more and knows more about what goes on in the field than they ever have before. And unfortunately, a lot of what's out there and what's dominating the airwaves is not such nice behavior that we can all be proud of. And we know to carry on our tradition, we're going to have to be better stewards of both the resources and the message and the, pro and the projection of our image and who we are. Um, it's easy to get fodder against the sporting community right now yep. because there's a lot of idiots doing a lot of dumb but, stuff. But you know what would be the best story ever is the story just like Chelsea Cassens had in the New York Times. That mm -hmm. story in the New York Times of Chelsea Cassens, Artemis ambassador, 
um, about hunting with non-lead reached probably a bigger non-hunting audience than anything and portrayed hunting in the most positive light to that non-hunting audience that you could get. And, and it, was, it was so cool to see that um, and, and see that message driven to, to that audience as well. Um, if you want to know more about it, you can go to nwf.org slash landscapes. You can also see that under the drop-down menu under our work under nwf.org slash outdoors along with a picture of our colleague Jason Dinsmore holding a, a nice grouse shot in Michigan with a steel shot. Um, Aaron, thanks for joining. Uh, we're both going to be at the Outdoor Writers Association of America in a few weeks, and uh, we, should, we should grab another, another one there as well. Um, this has been the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, and thank you again to Hunt to Eat for their partnership on the, on the non-lead. Their, well, also their partnership with Artemis, also their partnership with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, also their partnership with the Idaho Wildlife Federation, the Montana Wildlife Federation, and the Wyoming Wildlife Federation on Migration Corridor. So really just a huge thank you to Hunt to Eat on that. And to Rep Your Water, whose support for our Great Lakes um, office's work to stop Asian carp helps fund this podcast. I've been your host, Drew Youngdike. Thank you for listening.